RD Talks, brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Jan's journey to peace. From the courage of her patients, the young nurse learned how to live. By Echo Heron. Jan Tobin pulled her raincoat close as she walked towards the hospital on a rainy January evening. Her willowy grace, large dark eyes and high cheekbones made her a striking young woman. Arriving in the coronary care unit, Jan began checking each patient's chart. At 26, she was in her fourth year as senior team leader of the coronary unit of Marin General Hospital in Marin County, California. The name on chart 16 caught her attention. Gary. She'd taken care of Gary two months before when he was admitted to the unit, complaining of chest pain. The diagnosis was lung cancer. Now he was back. She walked into Gary's room and was shocked to see how he had changed. The thick blonde hair was gone, and it seemed as if the muscles under his flesh had melted away, leaving only a bony frame. Hi, Gary. I bought your meds. Gary turned from her. That's right, just bring in more dope to keep the dying man quiet. No, to keep you from pain so you can try to live the best way you can, she said. You don't know what it's like. I'm 45 years old and I have no time left. Don't talk to me about life, lady, he said, his face twisted with anger. A moment of complete silence followed his outburst. I'm going to tell you something, Jan said, sitting down next to him. I have cancer too. I was in remission, but now I've relapsed, so I know what you're feeling. But don't let your anger keep robbing you of the living that's going on right now. Gary spoke in a broken voice. That's not easy for me. How do you do it? What is it you know? I go through the bad parts holding as tight as I can to all the good parts, Jan said. I try to do the best I can with the time I have. During the next few weeks, as Gary's pain increased, his doses of morphine became more frequent. Jan sadly watched his life drifting away in a haze. One afternoon, as the dying man struggled to breathe, she sat close to him, speaking softly of everyday things. Within an hour, death ended Gary's pain. It was February 1979. Jan walked to the front desk of the coronary care unit where I was the nurse watching monitors. There I was preaching to him about walking through it easy as pie when I haven't faced the end myself, she said. I've gone over and over in my mind just how far I've come and where I still need to go. Looking out the window, she recounted the painful scene in August 1975. You have Hodgkin's disease, the doctor told her quietly. The statement touched off an explosion of shock and fear. Jan had known about the lump in her neck for months, but thinking it was harmless, she'd let it slide by. Preparing herself for the battle, Jan learned as much about Hodgkin's as she could. Though it is often a curable form of cancer, her case had been diagnosed at a serious stage. She sought help from the Stanford Oncology Clinic where she started chemotherapy and radiation treatments. Jan knew from the beginning that she would not quit her job. There are things I still have to learn and give, she said. When she returned to work, however, periods of calm would be interrupted by impatient outbursts. Some internal shadows seemed to colour everything she felt. Her anger surrounded her like a wall of ice. Looking for some guidance, she began taking assignments in the acute section of the coronary unit in order to work with the most critically ill patients. 
For weeks she asked questions and listened. It was her third day of caring for Ernie, a 49-year-old cardiac invalid. He watched her intently as she worked. After a few minutes, she looked up to see his face in an exaggerated scowl. She laughed in spite of herself. What are you doing, she asked. He grinned. I'm mimicking you. You look as though your life, not mine, depends on what you're doing. I'm a great listener, and I just happen to have a lot of time right now, so talk to me. I have a very big problem, Jan said, and I'm not dealing with it too well. Ernie leaned forwards and whispered to her. I already knew that. When you're confined to bed with nothing to do, your instincts work overtime. Whatever this giant problem is, it will not change the fact that you are sensitive and caring. You give your time and energy to the sick. That alone should tell you something. Jan responded by telling Ernie everything. Words poured from her as if they had been rammed into a small space with pressure building under them. Then Ernie told her the story of his illness. They said I'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I told them I wouldn't buy that and started research on getting a heart transplant. One day they'll tell me, Ernie, come on in and get your new heart. It will happen. I feel it in my heart, (laughs) such as it is. I'll tell you, Jan, when I first became aware of what was happening to me, I was scared. But very few things have kept me from doing what I believe in. I look into my soul and pick the purest reasons I have for doing or believing in something. I then put all my energy into them and come out fighting. Ernie's strength seemed to seep into Jan. She also had to make the choice to live with hope and courage or die in despair and anger, leaving nothing of value behind. Jan dug deep and went on. Chemotherapy and radiotherapy worked, and for two good years she was in remission. Her internal shadow faded and life unfolded before her. Her world was now filled with the excitement of theatre and travel and the warmth and closeness of her friends and family. Only the x-rays and blood tests stole her peace. With every favourable report, Jan felt she was getting away with something. She bought a house close to the hospital, a small place with lots of windows so the sun could fill the rooms, a fortress against the evil. Everything was going so well in my life. Those years were the first time I really played and discovered who I was, and then... disaster. In December 1978, a lump appeared under her right arm. She took a few days off and retreated into her sunny fortress to think. I ranted and cried until it dawned on me that I had to accept again, only in a different way. I would go on waging my war against death, but now I would have to do it without hopes and dreams. I would have to live every second as it was happening. Jan shook as if a sudden chill had snapped her back to her memories of that February day. Watching Gary die made me doubt my own convictions, she said to me. I'm afraid of dying like that. But don't worry, I'll go through this and be better for the experience. I'll come to terms again with me. After Gary's death, Jan focused on giving away her vast store of knowledge. I could usually find her in the unit, teaching a class or setting up the new pacemaker clinic. Instead of going to the theatre, she now spent her evenings making teaching plans. Jan learnt how to look deep into people's souls and bring out the best in them. When her father died in 1980, Jan became the emotional support for her mother and sister. She seemed to have an inexhaustible supply of strength. Her body, although sick, functioned well for her. Her reactions to chemotherapy were uncomfortable but manageable. 
Toward the end of 1982, Jan began to tire more easily. She had a persistent cough and often was short of breath. Her body was no longer keeping step with her spirit. Sitting at the nurse's station one evening in March 1983, she told me she felt more exhausted than she could ever remember. Even so, Jan stayed to care for an old woman who was dying. Entering her room, Jan looked into the woman's pale face. The woman took Jan's hand and said, I'm not going to make it out of here this time. What makes you so sure you're going to die now? Jan asked, pushing a grey hair back from the woman's cheek. It's instinct, the woman replied. You know when it's time to let go. Your body lets you know. Jan felt an aching fear at the woman's words, but shook it off and went about her tasks. Then a wave of nausea hit her as a pain from the back of her throat moved to the foreground of her attention. She went to the nurse's lounge. Facing the mirror, she could see how much her eyes had sunk. She examined the back of her throat. The inflammation there had grown, and now almost half of her throat was severely ulcerated. For the first time, Jan felt defeated. The next day was Friday, her day off. With her mother, Oneglia Tobin, she drove to the Palo Alto Medical Clinic. Dr. Paula Cushlin, her physician and friend, sat down next to her holding a file. I'm sorry, Jan, but your bone marrow shows involvement and the disease is moving rapidly. Jan sat for a moment, stunned, as the word terminal flashed through her mind. Then she put her arm around the doctor and said, Thank you for all you've done. Riding home, she looked out the window in silence at the spring green hills. After a long while, she turned to her mother and said, I'm glad, Mum. I'm relieved it's finally over. I was getting so tired. The next morning, Saturday, was beautiful. Jan drew up a list of people to call and put it on her bedside table. By the third call, she was amazed. Love was pouring out to her. She wasn't calling to say goodbye anymore. She was calling to share love. The best thing you can do for me is to make me laugh, she told me. I can still laugh, you know. I've been thinking that I never have to go to the dentist again or wait in line at the bank. Boy, can you imagine if Paula called and told me I had more time left? I'd be so embarrassed. I think I'll have to die now that I've told everybody. I'm not really afraid now that I'm so close to death. I look back and think, Hey Jan, you fought for almost eight years and you did pretty well. Nobody can say I didn't give it everything I had. It was Tuesday. The day had been full, talking with family, laughing with friends. Jan reviewed the piece of paper that held her last wishes, put down in her fine handwriting. It was early evening when she asked her mother to help her prepare for bed. Jan took two pain pills and talked with her mother for a short time before closing her eyes. At 6am she awoke and asked for two more pills. Aneglia noticed that Jan's hands were trembling, but as she left the room, Jan smiled and called, Hey, thanks mum. Night. Two hours later, Aneglia heard Jan moaning. Hurrying to her daughter, she found Jan was no longer responsive. Jan's sister and a priest were called. At 9.55am, with all three standing close around the bed, Jan stopped breathing. Aneglia looked into her daughter's face and was amazed at the peace she saw there. On April 3, 1983, on the grounds of the hospital, a group of people stood in front of a newly planted flowering plum tree. A nurse stepped forward to speak these words. 
Where is the gentle dark-haired lady? The fighter, without resentment, determined to be well. Giving her energy to the needing, ignoring the flight of time always running at her side. She said she was the lucky one, leaving all the pain, yet worrying about our grief after she was gone. Beautiful dark-haired lady, you will live within us always. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia, a division of Direct Publishing. Thank you.